Welcome, everyone, to this new ECDPM podcast series. In this podcast series, we're zooming in on COP27. Throughout 2022, heat waves, floods, droughts, and wildfires all over the world have shown that the climate crisis affects us all, and its effects are being felt much faster than anticipated, although not equally. The most vulnerable populations to the climate crisis are also the ones least responsible for it. And there are growing calls for wealthier countries, responsible for the majority of carbon emissions, to increase their contribution to adaptation efforts, both at home and abroad. It's in this context of geopolitical uncertainty, but with a greater push for climate action, that COP27 takes place. That is why we are bringing you a number of conversations between ECDPM and knowledgeable guests that will share with us what has been happening in some of COP27's key discussion areas, such as food, peace and security, water, or crucially, the financing of all these efforts. Good day, everyone. My name is Cecilia D'Alessandro, and I'm your host for this episode of the ECDPM series that is looking at COP27. At ECDPM, I work on climate change and food systems, both in Europe and Africa. We closely follow European and African policies and responses to climate change. For example, we've recently conducted a study that looked at how the policies of major economies impact the water, food and energy systems in developing countries, as well as their actions to mitigate and adapt to climate change. Today, we're talking about a crucially important issue, which is the nexus between water, energy and food security with climate adaptation. And we will focus on the Middle East and North Africa, or in short, the MENA region. I'm joined by Mr. Jakob Vaslander, who is the Dutch envoy to the Middle East and North Africa for water, energy and food. Jakob also previously served as senior expert at the World Resources Institute and headed the Climate and Energy Division at the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Welcome to the podcast, Jakob. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, uh, Cecilia. Jakob, as Dutch envoy, you have worked on many initiatives and projects on sustainable water management and climate action, both in the Middle East and North Africa. Why is water security such an urgent issue in the region? In North Africa, we only have 256 cubic meters of water available per capita per year. While in uh, Western Europe, there is more than 4,000 cubic meter water available. And in South America, even 30,400 cubic meter of water per capita. So North Africa, and the same counts for the Middle East, the availability of water is very limited. It is 92% of all the available fresh water in the Arab region is completely depleted every year. And the percentage is increasing towards 100%. While according to the SDG agreements, it should become zero. You should roughly take as much water as you give back the number of water. So rather than being 92%, it should preferably be 0%. So the Middle East and North Africa are far off track. And then think of climate change, which increases weather extremes and which will w likely worsen the situation even more. 
in Jordan, for example, farmers which see that their crops are in a terrible state because they don't have enough water. And so they start um, uh, making illegal wells, which is uh, another draw upon the scarcely available um, water resources. Uh, and that is practice is increasing more and more here in Jordan, but also in other countries in, in the Middle East. Well, on top of what you're saying, competing demands for water from different sectors, such as food production and energy generation, are increasing. So policymakers have a difficult job in managing the trade-offs between objectives and policies at the water, energy and food nexus. How do countries in the MENA region deal with this challenge? In what I'm now going to say, there is some guessing because data are not really very robust. But what I can say from my own experience is that um, the green transition is happening also in the Middle East and North Africa. And that's very positive. We see an uptake of renewable energy. We see uh, a huge um, exploration of the potential of green hydrogen, not only for use in the region, but also for export to other markets. We see uh, water use is gradually becoming more efficient uh, by introducing desalinization techniques which uh, optimize the use of fresh water. But we have to remind desalinization remains extremely costly. At the same time, we see water treatment and water reuse uh, on the increase. In Jordan, it's close to 90% of all the water which is being uh, used is being treated and where possible being reused. And also in food, we see that there is more and more crop per drop, so a better and more efficient use of water. However, it's not enough. Uh, and that's also why um, the water scarcity is so high in this region. And what we need to have is more private finance. We need to have um, better thorough thinking and discussion about what the green transition should exactly deliver. How should we use our scarce financial resources to really make the most impact? We must be much more cognizant of uh, involving all stakeholders to take them along with the changes they're facing, not only from climate change, but also from the societal and economic change we have to go through. And, and I want to give you an example from Egypt. Shitosan, which is a small company, was uh, developed by three young Egyptian students and they found out a process to use the waste from uh, uh, shrimps, which uh, the waste which came from roughly 20,000 Egyptian poor women who were um, preparing shrimps for restaurants. And so all the waste, they were throwing it into a lake, which started to smell terribly and which was polluted. And those three young students found a process to use the, the shrimp waste as a base for organic fertilizer. And they uh, were able, with support from the Netherlands and some other donors, to apply for licenses and to get certificates, both from Europe and from the United States, so that they are certified now as organic fertilizer producers. 
And they've now created a process uh, to process this organic fertilizer. They buy the shrimp waste from those 20,000 poor women so that those women get some extra revenues. And uh, they are now putting the organic fertilizer on the market. Farmers are quickly taking up the organic fertilizer. Also farmers, which are not of origin organic farmers. And within two years, they had already 2% of the Egyptian market and they hope within another two years to have 10% of the Egyptian market. So that's a very good example of, um, of a green transition. Given the challenges and opportunities you just outlined, can you tell us what are the top three priorities the Netherlands is focusing on when supporting its partners in the MENA region to address water scarcity and promote sustainable water management? Well, for the Netherlands, we, uh, we of course have a lot of knowledge about water management. We want to use that knowledge also to help others. In the MENA region, you have uh, still very poor or in conflict countries, but you also have the Gulf nations, very rich, high income countries. So for the poorer countries, we use our aid to support uh, the transition and the improvement of water management. Uh, for the richer nations, we also use our trade where we promote Dutch knowledge and also Dutch uh, skills, Dutch products to be used to strengthen sustainable water management. And the third um, priority is to help in building capacity and strengthening inclusiveness because we are convinced that with uh, our hundreds of years of um, water boards, which we have in my country, uh, that you need all relevant stakeholders to be in, involved. So you need to build capacity and you need to include them. So it's aid, trade, and I call it inclusiveness and capacity building. Now, I'd like to turn our attention to regional cooperation on water resources. A major challenge the MENA region faces is the management of shared water resources. So how do you see the role of international partners, particularly of the Netherlands, in promoting transboundary water cooperation, especially in a context of heightened geopolitical tensions? This is um, a question which very much relates also to Dutch experience. We, we are a Delta nation. For example, the River Rhine is flowing through uh, in total five countries. And so for us as the Dutch being really at the end of the river flow, it's important to know what happens in uh, in upriver uh, Germany, Switzerland, France, or, or Belgium. Um, and so since uh, 1847, we already have a commission between those countries to manage the River Rhine. Uh, and it didn't always go so very well. It wasn't easy. Uh, but after 150 or even 170 years of experience, we know how to work together, how to help each other. We also understand much better what one action in one country means for other countries. And that type of experience, we also want to make available to other countries. It often means that uh, you can help out with uh, data gathering, that you can help out with sharing experiences. In the end, it depends also on uh, the countries who, who own, who are the reverend states of those water flows, how they want to structure the management of those water flows. That's of course not something others can impose. But where we can, whether directly or through international agencies, we are ready and available to help 
with uh, addressing the a good ma transboundary management of water resources. How does it work then in the MENA region in terms of regional cooperation? Is there a role that regional platforms can play in this matter? It depends on the reverend states how they decide to work together, whether they want to have a designated commission, whether they want to integrate it in an existing UN or other body. So that's up to those countries. Um, but we are convinced also with the increased uh, water stress, especially here in the Middle East and North Africa, that a better management of trans transboundary uh, waterways and transboundary aquifers is essential. As you mentioned, climate change is worsening water scarcity. The water sector will have to implement some changes to better face the climate crisis. Can you give us the top three adaptation solutions in the water sector? And here I'm thinking also of energy and food security. Uh, what is key first and foremost is locally led adaptation. You must make sure that you have all relevant stakeholders involved, that they feel also ownership and responsibility in finding a solution to the ever-growing pressure on the scarce resources they have available. So locally led adaptation is key. The second element is um, early warning systems. So you must have well-functioning, reliable early warning system so that you are uh, on time in identifying uh, the threat of floods, but also of droughts of um, uh, temperature, uh, uh, heat waves, uh, and this should be used to strengthen resilience. So you should use those early warning systems also to make sure that people know what to do to lower the risks they are facing. Uh, and you have to empower local authorities, not only in giving them responsibilities, but also the means to act and address those uh, problems which are being uh, uh, alerted upon. And the third one is um, to have to have robust, understandable data and analysis. So not just spreadsheets with all kinds of, of figures in it, but also making it understandable so that also users know what they mean and how they can use it for analyzing their situation. And those data are so very important because it feeds into better public policy decisions it feeds into uh, companies who want to make investment decisions and it feeds into a, a wider understanding of the risks which a country, which a society is facing. And the fourth one is finance. We can only work on those earlier three elements, locally led adaptation, early warning systems and better data if we also have the financial means available. And it means on the one hand that countries uh, themselves have to make sure that they have the money available, but also that uh, developed nations have to uh, reach out and provide uh, and mobilize the climate finance, which is needed. Let me pick on that last aspect of finance. The Netherlands is a founding member of the Champions Group on Adaptation Finance, which was founded at the UN General Assembly last year. And as such, it has committed to increasing the quantity, quality and accessibility of adaptation finance. How is the Netherlands holding up to its commitment, particularly in its action in the MENA region? For the Dutch, um, I, I've looked in the current figures for the current year, 2022. 
Um, the planning is that we will have spent this year 1.3 billion euros. When you then look again at the division between mitigation and adaptation, where globally there is a huge disequilibrium between mitigation and adaptation for the Dutch, it's almost 50-50, actually 51% of the Dutch climate funding in 2022 will be for uh, adaptation. So there uh, we are much more in sync uh, with the, the needs. Uh, and that is also something we're aiming at uh, in the MENA region. Finally, Jakob, water has been in the spotlight at international conferences. In October, there was the Cairo Water Week, which took place ahead of COP27, COP27 itself. And next year in March, the UN Water Conference will take place in New York, co-hosted by the Netherlands. In your view, how can the outcomes of COP27 help make the Water Summit in March 2023 a success? Do you think there's enough convergence of priorities between these two events? COP27 is uh, an occasion in place where Egypt, but actually all parties to COP27, are playing a very constructive role in uh, also um, facilitating a successful outcome of the Water Summit in March. Uh, and that brings me to the Global Water Conference because there are, I think, three elements which are so terribly important and why we need um, outreach to everybody who can help to make this a success. Because first of all, we want this uh, Water Conference to be really actionable. It should bring together those parties who are acting on water management, who are water, uh, acting on uh, sanitation. And the second element is uh, um, encouraging financial support to stimulate more investments also in uh, better water management, better salinization, uh, water treatment issues. And the third element uh, uh, for a successful water outcome is to make sure that we have all the relevant stakeholders involved. It's also that non-state actors should be engaged in March uh, 23 in New York City to make this conference a success. So it is about action, it's about investment, and it's about getting stakeholders involved. Jakob, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Your points on the importance of locally-led adaptation, having understandable data and analysis, and engaging both state and non-state actors are crucial to understanding how we can face the pressing challenges of water scarcity. We hope the Water Conference the Netherlands is co-organizing really focuses on solutions and on how to scale up financial support to stimulate more investment in sustainable water management and adaptation in the water sector. Best of luck! Thank you, Cecilia. It was really nice uh, talking to you and uh, explaining the Dutch position in the domain of water management. And um, I really appreciated your questions and I hope this is of use also to your audience.